It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello, and a huge welcome to this week's episode of Gina Gardner and Friends. I'm joined today by Margaret O'Connor, who's often referred to as David fighting Goliath. She is a woman who's focused on the truth. She's an author, um, and she's going to talk to me today, and we're going to discuss how we move forward with our lives. You know, lots of people get stuck and find it very difficult to find a way forward. But this is a lady on a mission, and I'm really thrilled, Margaret, to be able to uh, welcome you to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Gina. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So let's start off by giving us um, just a potted history of, you know, of you and how you come to be David against Goliath. Yes, um, I happened to grow up uh, in an Irish Catholic family, and uh, our faith was very important to us. So as a very young girl, I discovered that, gee, there was a big difference between what girls can do and boys can do. And in fact, my mom bought uh, my brother Paul as a birthday gift, a cardboard replica of a church altar. And Paul was playing the part of the priest. And myself and my twin sister, Pat, we grabbed two chairs and sat down in front of the altar. We were the parishioners. And everything was going fine until a certain point. And you have to remember, I was a young girl then. I... um spoke up and I said, Paul, I want to be the priest. And I'll never forget. He said, you can't be a priest. You have to be a man. Only men can be priests. So uh, I learned at a very young age that there was a different, you know, a disparity there between girls and boys. And then just a few weeks later, my mom was a church organist. And after her choir practice, she asked uh, us if we would like to go down and stand on the altar. Well, we were really excited because, of course, 
girls were never up on the altar. So I remember my twin sister, Pat, she stepped behind the altar. And then it was my turn. And Gina, I practically just got behind the altar and I was sort of centering myself and imagine looking out. This must be neat on the weekends because back in the 50s, those pews were packed with people. Yes. When all of a sudden I heard this gruff voice, what are those girls doing up on the altar? They don't belong anywhere near that altar. And my mom wasn't one to rock the boat. No. Uh, she said back to the priest, he was the Monsignor, well, that's right, Father, unless they're there to clean the altar. And he just turned around and walked out. But I was really surprised because, again, um, you know, she really didn't rock the boat. But obviously, what a way to treat young girls, his whole tone, his whole demeanor. So what I'm trying to say is I definitely learned at a very young age in those two examples that, wow, there, there's, there's a difference, there's a disparity there. So I went on through my life in my 20s, and I would still hear talk of, yes, there were women priests within the Catholic Church's early history. So you get to a certain point in your life, um, and I went for further study. I went into a master's uh, program in pastoral ministry, and I was very naive. I thought, oh, this place, seminary, has a very good research library. Maybe I can find something. But of course, there was nothing to be found. So then as I went on more, I just, my curiosity took over me. And I kept reading and reading. And finally, I came across several wonderful books. Um, John Vingegaard, he was a former Catholic priest, the uh, ordination of woman in the Catholic Church. And then there was Gary Macy, a Protestant minister, the hidden history of woman's ordination. And then you have um, various uh, Catholic sisters. One is uh, Chris Schenk, Crispina, and her sisters, a woman in authority position. And she... Uh, recalls, or actually they have pictures of down in the catacombs, uh, and it, it shows not only males in religious positions, but as well women in religious positions. And you have people in that book, that women that are um, biblical experts, and they can actually depict these scenes. And it's very striking, say on one wall in the catacomb, there was this very high straight back chair, and that denoted that that was the bishop's chair. All right, and the bishop's sitting there. Well, on the opposite side, say the left side of the wall, there's that same chair, but now you see a woman, and you definitely see her in priestly attire. So what I'm trying to say is through, you won't hear of this in the Bible, but through biblical research, there definitely were not only woman priests, there were woman bishops, uh, deacons, 
woman apostles. And again, going back to my early roots, you were asking the question, why am I called David going against Goliath? Because when I personally found this information out, I, I was reading uh, John Vingard's book, and this information was just so wonderfully special. And again, for anyone hearing this for the first time, it will be shocking because we've always been told there never were woman priests, period. John Vingard has a chapter on Mary, Mother of God. Jesus's mother. And Mary, mother, was a woman priest. Well, I threw the book up in the air. But then, of course, I had to gather it up. And did, did I just see what I really saw? And I personally, it, it just hit me. I had all that excitement and that joy. And that just dissolved away with an awful realization I've been betrayed by my church. And I mean, how do you ever begin to, to, to swallow it or digest it? And it was a period there that it was very hard for me. And uh, I thought, I've got to move on. I, I just can't be stuck. Uh, so how am I going to do that? Well, I decided to follow Jesus's model. He himself, we know, he spoke up uh, against the particular authority types uh, that were in charge of, you know, the, the church back then. He spoke up, and he not only spoke up against it, if he thought something was wrong, he tried to, uh, to rectify the situation. So I am following in Jesus's uh, example by openly speaking up. And as well, uh, Mother Mary was uh, uh, a woman priest, and in a sense, I feel I'm following in her footsteps. But seriously, to me, it's like a grassroots effort because there are just so many women, uh, Catholics, uh, even uh, 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 other faith denominations that you know that have interests that obviously you're always interested in another denomination, you know. How, why is it maybe that they don't have women priests and yet uh, other ones do? Uh, but whether it's here in the United States, and then we, we for, forget about going worldwide, go over to Asia, go over uh, um, to uh, Africa, and whether it's in Ireland and whether it's in Australia, there's just millions and millions of women that have never heard this special information. And I, I, I don't care what faith denomination you belong to. That isn't right. You know, it's so um, interesting how, for me, there's a, a number of levels to this. One is that very often, and not just in terms of, of this particular situation with the Catholic Church, but history buries the truth. They talk about the, it's the victor who writes the history, who writes their truth. And mm -hmm. over the annals of time, that truth becomes almost concreted in to be the only truth. But whether you're talking about religion or talking about um, politics, I think we all have to recognize that whoever is 
uh, writing the history, the account, inevitably is going to be coloured by their own agenda, whether that agenda is positive, negative or neutral. I'm very conscious of time. We've got to go for a short break. When we come back, I just want to open up the discussion, really, in terms of how things have changed since the 50s quite a lot in terms of women's emancipation. But religion, uh, particularly certain religions, seem to be a bastion of male dominance um, and your thoughts about that. So please don't go away. If you're listening to this, you may not be Catholic. You may not agree with uh, what's being said, but I want you to be open to the fact that really digging down to find out the information to get a sense of the the balanced truth so you can make a decision based on on the reality rather than on just one side of the story seems to me a really powerful way forward. So please don't go away. We'll be back after the break. Barbie really wants this dream house. It's got stunning views and a slide. Barbie's ready for fun. So cool. And Barbie found out about this dream house with an alert from Rocket Homes. She did? Well, it's a super competitive market. Everyone wants to buy the dream house. Better offer Betty. I'll go 10 over asking. Cash offer Carl. Straight cash. House Skipper Skipper. Let's tear it to the studs. You vultures, you're gonna start a bidding war. This is less than ideal. Oh no. Don't worry, Barbie has a verified approval that shows her finances are backed by Rocket Mortgage. So Barbie wins. But we need a house. Oh, I found a fixer upper castle on Rocket Homes. It has good bones, but really bad neighbors. <laughs> I like his vibe. Get your dream house all in one place with Rocket Homes and Rocket Mortgage. For a better way to find and finance, Rocket can. Thanks for helping. No problem, it's good for my glutes. With the timeless protection of ADT, it's safe to say... Hey Google, unlock the front door. When you've helped save more lives than any other home security brand, it's safe to say there's a reason millions of people trust ADT to help protect what matters most. Uh, Miss Stevens, I just wiped malware off our system. Uh, people have got to stop clicking unsolicited email links and downloading free software unless it's from a trusted source. Sounds great. We need a data backup plan in a separate location in case we get hacked. We need to focus on making profits, not spending them. Learn to protect yourself from ransomware. If you become a victim, contact your local FBI office. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Margaret O'Connor. I'm going to start calling you David, I think, because you have certainly <laughs> got a big, uh, a big challenge on your hands. And I think, you know, let's broaden it out. You know, we've been talking, uh, you know, the theme is moving forward with your life. And ultimately, you've moved forward with your life and you've made a decision that you're going to search for the truth. You weren't going to take things at face value because that didn't feel right for you. And if you think about, you know, women, even in my very limited uh, understanding of the history, the time of Jesus, women, generally speaking, had a role that was very much um, around women um looking after the children, taking care of the house, and so on, and men being those who would be the the, um, the breadwinner and so on. They would be the people in authority. 
And yet one of the things that's always puzzled me is how very clearly there appeared to be that women um, would be kept separate to men, for example, in terms of uh, being baptised. And it's always, it, I've always felt it sat a little strangely that men would go into the water with women and baptise them. And yet some of the information that I'd had is that, that women were, um, were brought in to baptise women and it wouldn't be logical for them to have some sort of standing within those early Christian groups. I just wondered what your view was about that. Well, that's interesting that you say about women were there for the baptism, because um, an argument is anyway within the Catholic Church that um, women that actually did that baptism for other women uh, were not were called deacons and that that just wasn't true they were just there to help because of the privacy um issue and um but there there's just such a separation there you know obviously between what women can do and and what men can do and even going back to what you said about the uh the scribes writing um people say well no the church didn't lie uh, over centuries, obviously, if if something uh, is dismissed, well, then it, it it's there, but it's like way in the background. But people just don't realize that um, the actual role that woman had, that's what I'm trying to bring forward. Um, we hear Mary Magdala is like just one apostle. There were more apostles, and it was really interesting, Gina, there was a woman that did uh, biblical research, and she came across the concept of what's apostleship? Apostle, an apostle is anyone who's divinely sent out, not only by Jesus, but by a particular community. And then you look into the biblical research, and they start mentioning uh, an apostle called Junia. And for centuries, she was looked upon as a male. But with the biblical research, no, that was a woman. So that's yeah. another apostle. And and then there were the women uh, around the tomb that they 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 were they uh, apostles as well. But you see these like the threads that come into this, and they like authenticate that yes, there was more than one apostle. And yet, why are we today still hearing just the? story of Jesus alone sending out his 12 apostles. It's, uh, I find it fascinating how history becomes shaped by the people who choose what gets um, broadcast and what doesn't. But actually, I want to leave that to one side, if I may. Okay. We live in a world, we're in the 21st century. I'd like to think that we've moved on that you know, whatever went on in the past, and we're talking about a couple of centuries ago, it, based on the culture and the circumstances of a couple of thousand years ago, that we have moved on and that recognising that actually it's down to um, how we choose as a society or as a group within society to continue um, 
and to operate and to interact with one another, which is going to make the difference. And I can see that if you're talking about, you know, the the how we treat one another, you know, the Ten Commandments and, you know, uh, the, the teaching of treating people as you would like to treat uh, your, your treat your neighbor as yourself. What strikes me is that you know the Protestant Church, uh, and I can only talk about in the UK. Uh, a few years ago, went through great trauma because they wanted women to be ordained, and some men left the Protestant Church and actually moved to the Catholic Church because. They didn't want to be involved in an organisation where women were ordained. And yet now, several years after the Faroe, many um, communities are served incredibly well by women priests or women vicars, women uh, mm -hmm. deacons and so on. And that they, it seems to me that the way forward is to recognise that each individual brings with it their skills, their experience, their expertise, their heart. And maybe that's where we should judge things, because it's what contribution can we make? How can we be of service, which seems to be, and this is a very personal view, and I'm sure there are viewers out there who may disagree with me, but I feel that's what's important, is what value do we bring to any given situation, not what, what our gender is. Oh, definitely. But that that's the whole issue, is that that gender issue is the major issue and still is within the Catholic Church because um, you probably heard there were five biblical reasons why women, you know, explicitly couldn't become a priest. And one of them is that uh, women uh, were not made in the image of God. And yet all of these five biblical reasons have been proven through biblical research to be uh, cultural prejudice, cultural bias. Isn't that? And yet, we, I'm going to say that I don't know. I have to say, I'd never heard that that was one of the reasons why um, one couldn't be uh, a, a, Catholic, a female Catholic priest. Because my view is that we are all made uh, out as uh, we are part of God and God is part of us, whatever our gender. Yes. And I mean, even going back to um, uh, Genesis 1 uh, 27 that uh, God created them, woman and man. God made them. Yes. And, I mean, right there we know we're equal. But, again, this prejudice uh, continues on. And even down to about the, the idea that um, women um, couldn't, like, teach in church because women were so feeble-minded and emotionally unstable. And there was even a common law back then that said uh, it, that this particular condition was more prevalent in women than in men. And, oh, we couldn't have women up on the <laughs> in, in, in an institution or a church uh, uh, teaching. You know, they, uh, but there again, there's a, it's, it's blatant. It's interesting, isn't it? We've just had the funeral of the Queen who served this country for over seven oh, yes. years. Feeble-minded, that's not how I'd describe her. 
Um, but on that note, we've got to go for a break. Um, we'll see you back in just a minute. When the forgotten poor are suffering and in need of healing, they wait for a ship unlike any other. Mercy Ships, the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. Heroes of mercy like these. Every human being has the right to be treated as human, to have a place at the table of the human race. If you could just see the look in that patient's eyes or the smiles that you get when lives have been changed, then it would make it all worth it. You bring hope and healing to one person, but that person belongs to a family and that family belongs to a community. Together, these heroes of mercy and friends like you bring hope and healing to those who desperately need it. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more about Heroes of Mercy, go to mercyships.org today. Where are you headed? Uh, just gonna hang out. If any of your buddies ever pressure you to take a drink, just tell them you promised your dad you wouldn't. I promise. Love you too, Dad. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back. So, Margaret, I know you've written a couple of books. Tell us the the uh, titles of your books and where people can get them. Oh, sure, Gina. Uh, the first one is Scandal in the Shadow, Scandal Meaning Omission, The Original Priest, Mother Mary, and that's at uh, Amazon. And the second book is Journey of a Celiac Soul, S-O-U-L, a second chance at life, and that as well is at Amazon. Now, are these fiction, nonfiction? These are nonfiction. Okay. Now, it's interesting because both of us are celiacs. I was diagnosed in 1987, and I know that, that you were very, very poorly before you were diagnosed as a celiac, and that you sort of reinvented yourself having uh, discovered that uh, actually it wasn't all in your mind and that you were that all of these symptoms were not phantom, but very real. Yes, because, I mean, it, there's nothing more offensive of going to doctors and being told, you know, that it, it's in your mind, it's not real. And yet um, the second chance at life refers to I was within five months, my doctor told me, of being um, six feet under in the ground. So I'm very fortunate. Uh, my twin sister had brain cancer, and she she didn't have a second chance. So when you have an experience like that, you literally look at life uh, like through a whole new prism. You know, and, for those of you who are listening who don't know what celiac disease is, you know, people talk about having a gluten intolerance. It's very different. So people who are celiacs have an immune problem. So when you ingest wheat, rye, oats, or barley, even in tiny, tiny amounts, your body thinks that it's a germ. And in trying to destroy the germ, it destroys the villi, which are the, um, is the inside lining of the duodenum, which is where you take in all the vitamins and minerals. And if you imagine finger-like processes, which are giving you an extra um, area for the body to absorb, instead of them being like fingers, um, they are actually flat. And so people who have celiac disease, um, they don't absorb vitamins and minerals, and they can have all sorts of other problems too. And it used to be 
very, very difficult to diagnose. The only way they could diagnose it was by taking a biopsy of the duodenum. These days, there is a blood test, which is about 95% accurate, um, which can tell whether you have celiac disease. And the only treatment for celiac disease is to be absolutely obsessional about not eating gluten in any form or not or, or other. Otherwise, it can make you very ill. And a piece of bread the size of your small fingernail can take around six months for your gut to recover. And that's why that's so important, because uh, people think, oh, come on, a little wheat's not going to hurt you. You know, if you go out to a restaurant. And people don't realize, as you said, you can have those symptoms up to six months within your yeah. body after that initial one meal. Yeah. And when people call this a fad diet, um, you, in a sense, you can't blame them because it's been presented that way. I don't know. Do so you know? your book about your journey with celiac disease is called, say the title again. Journey of a Celiac Soul. A second chance at life. Margaret, it just remains for me to say a big thank you to you for sharing your story. And to say to you as listeners, I'd love to know your story and how you're getting on. Um, maybe your story is a suitable one for my show. Please do contact me at Gina at uh, Gina Gardener and Friends. So that's Gina, G-I-N-A, at Gina Gardener, G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R, and friends.com. Thanks very much for joining me, Margaret. And thank you, the listeners. See you. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that helps you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. To learn more about Gina Gardner, go to genuinely-u.com. If you would like to work with Gina or book her as a speaker, email her at gina at genuinely-u.com.